our shir with a bit of a surprising place. It's a sad part of the Torah. We're going to begin with the tochacha. Okay, there's two tochachot. There's a tochacha in Vayikra, and there's the rebuke of, that God tells the Jewish people in Dvarim Perk And we're going to see that many of the predictions that were predicted in the tochacha are highly unlikely, and yet they have been fulfilled. So let's... Let's let's go through it. So we don't have time to go through the whole tochacha. The basic idea is in bed. If you don't listen to the voice of the Lord Almighty, all of these curses are going to happen. A lot of bad things are going to happen. Now, most of those curses are very general. Things like your land is going to be vanquished and you're going to be conquered and there's going to be terrible sadness, etc., etc. But those are very general things. And therefore, we're not going to focus on those things in this year. Because, again, if the author of the Torah would say general things and they happen, it's not so surprising. Most nations at one point or the other are going to be conquered by other nations and said generally sad things are going to happen. So that's not going to prove anything. But if the author of the Torah writes something that is unlikely, that's what we're going to focus in on. Okay, one important preface. For us believing Jews, the Torah was given at Har Sinai by Moshe Rabbeinu 3,000 plus years ago. For those who don't believe in the veracity of Torah, I'm talking about biblical scholars, the <coughs> latest they're going to bring it back would be around the time of the either Assyrian or Babylonian exile. Okay? Nobody's going to claim, nobody claims uh, that the Bible was written after the Roman exile. Okay, we're talking the, the latest, latest they would claim would be the after the first temple was destroyed. No one's going to say it's before that. So if we can have a prediction, bef- again, before the second temple was destroyed, and then that happens later in our history, then everyone, even the most scholarly heretic in the world, would have to agree that that's unlikely. Because that's an important point. Okay, we believe it happened way before, but even a, a scholar would say, wow, it was predicted way before all of these things happened. Okay, so the Torah tells us in Chavches Samach Gimel Samach Dalit, Vaya, Kasher Sashem Lachem Lativatchem Larbotatchem, Kenya Sashem Lachem, Lavidotchem, Lashmidotchem, Nisachem El Adma, Asher Tava Shamarista. If you don't do the Torah, God's going to destroy you and you're going to be knocked out. From the land which I have given to give you inheritance. And you're going to be scattered throughout the world. If you don't fulfill the Torah in the covenant, God says, you're going to be destroyed and you're going to be scattered throughout the world. Okay? And you're going to worship all these gods, which you and your forefathers have not known. Okay, so the question is, what is the likelihood of a nation being decimated, being destroyed? Start with that. Do you think that's likely or unlikely? I would say not that unlikely. It could happen. It could happen that a prophet's going to say, well, one day you're going to get destroyed. The truth is it didn't always happen. Okay, many times. Um, actually, most of the time, 
nations would not destroy completely, like is described in the Tochacha, but rather tax them heavily. They wouldn't burn the place down. They would take for their tax base. For example, the Romans only twice in their entire history um, destroyed and exiled um, a conquered people with us and with Carthage. But most of the time, there are many conquered Roman nations. They would just keep them and maybe enslave some of the, the hard workers and uh, some of the women. But for the most part, they would leave them be and tax them and, and as long as they submitted themselves. So it's a bit surprising, but I wouldn't say such a big deal that the Torah would predict that we would be conquered. But what I do think is interesting and very confusing is that you're going to get scattered. You're going to get scattered throughout the entire world. You, the Jewish people, the Torah predicts, is going to be scattered throughout the world. Yes, Daniel? Destroyed. That you're going to be... And then, not completely and utterly destroyed, those who are left, the land is going to be destroyed, and then you're going to be scattered and exiled throughout the world. So being exiled is still part of the... They're all connected, but let's just focus one at a time. I think conquering and destroying is rare, but not that not that surprising. On the other hand, I would say veifitzcha, being scattered throughout the world, is extremely unlikely and extremely rare. I just mentioned that, that the Romans themselves generally did not destroy the places that they conquered. They would... They would they would attack them, and then they would leave them and tax them. They wanted to get their tax base. What happened with the Jewish people? And Jews and, and another city-state called Carthage happened to be the only ones that were burnt and destroyed and, and thrown, thrown away. But the exiles, the Jewish people were exiled by the Romans? Exactly. And now I want to talk about the, 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 the central prophecy, which is that they're going to get scattered. They're going to be exiled throughout the world. The Torah predicts that there's going to be a nation that's going to come and scatter them and exile them throughout the world. Okay? Now, before we analyze that historically, did that actually happen? I want to first ask, is that likely? Let's ask ourselves, is that likely that there's going to be a nation, that you're, this Jewish nation is going to be, the Torah is going to predict that it's going to be scattered throughout the world if you don't keep the Torah. It's going to be exiled and scattered throughout the world. So I'm saying a, a no, not. Why not? Well, one thing, people like to stick together. But another thing, even though the Romans, in this case, are taking us out of the land, they're still smart, and they know that this group that they have in one or two places, they can be a productive nation. But if they're scattered, they'll lose their identity, or they would think they would lose their identity, and they would become nothing. Yeah, so fair. If they went to all the trouble to conquer us, maybe they can get maybe some make something out of us by putting some in Babylonia or some in, in or Egypt, just enslave us, just make us the slave Rome, labor in Rome and keep it to keep it the people together uh, because some it's profitable for them and, and and like I say for us, why would we want to scatter because we want to be what we've been what we've known. For the since we left Egypt is being together, except for that one. Well, the Babylonian was the only split, really major split. Right. So, okay. What's your name then? What's your name? Uncle Gabriel. Uncle Gabriel makes two excellent points. So, first of all, let's let's stick with 
the imagine you're a Jew that's getting kicked out of the land. Okay. So maybe you guys have traveled a little bit. What's the first thing when you're a Jew and you're traveling somewhere where there's not so many Jews around? You usually want to find other Jews. That's just what happened. And where do you go? You go to Chabad, right? You go to somewhere to find other Jews because that's where we like being in our little tribes. We like huddling together. We're small. We're different. And therefore, it would be very natural for us to not scatter. If we're going to be kicked out of Israel, we want to stay huddled together, find a place wherever it is, and hang out there. Maybe there'll be two places, maybe three places, okay. But it would be exactly counterintuitive. We would never want to go all across the world. That would be the opposite of what would make sense to us, okay? That, or any, again, we're just any nation. Why would you want to scatter all across the world? That seems to be lacking logic, okay? And in addition, like you said, it would be much more helpful for the nation to use their slave labor. Why would, why would you want to scatter them throughout the whole world? Why would that happen? Okay? So I think that's very logical. Of course, everyone's welcome to disagree. Yes? I'm not disagreeing. Well, from God's perspective, from the Torah's perspective, I have scattered you. But indeed, they scattered themselves or as history happened, they got scattered. You know, the Jews didn't want to get scattered by the Spanish Inquisition or by the British, uh, you know, kicking them out or this and that. It just, that's what happened, uh, amazingly enough. No, but history just happened, worked out that way that we got scattered all throughout the world, which is very counter what we would have expected. Okay? Yeah? And how is it that we are... We are gathered together speaking English instead of, and and alternatively, modern Hebrew instead of Lashon Kodesh. Right, right, exactly. And so we're going to get back to that at the end of the part two of this prophecy, which is even more unbelievable, is that we would come back to the land of Israel. And the amazing thing is that we are here somehow speaking English in the middle of Yerushalayim. So we are living this prophecy. We'll, we'll get back to that. But correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Daniel wants to say something. Yeah. So you're skipping to the punchline, but indeed, historically speaking, that is what happened, that the Jewish people did get exiled by the Romans in the year 70, and I can't tell you there was zero, but there was very, very few Jews um, left in, 99.99% were scattered out of Israel in the year 70, okay? And the Ramban talks about this in his com commentary, as does the Abarbanel, specifically linking our story, our Baruch Chavches, to what we have Edus about from Josephus and other historical accounts about the Roman exile. So indeed, that's exactly what happened, that we ended up getting exiled. And we all know that we've ultimately been exiled throughout the whole world, just as the Torah predicted, despite the unlikelihood of that event. Yeah. Not only that, uh, it happened again and again. So it happened, the big one was Spain, but it also happened from uh, the central German nations were constantly expelling the Jews. England was constantly expelled, well, several important times, expelled the Jews. So it, it happened uh, again right. and again. Right, so uh, someone so looking back at our history would have to be like, wow. And, and it was the same cause. It was 
the uh, Jews uh, melding into the general population, and Hamishem was saying, no, we need you to... Right. We don't need you to, to become a Spaniard. We need you to remain a Jew. Absolutely. That's an absolutely true point. But again, I'm just trying to be very pointed, very scientific here. The Torah predicts A. What are the odds of A happening? The Torah predicts us being scattered. What are the odds of, of, of a nation scattering throughout the world, which we're only up to that yet, and did it happen? We've already skipped to the point line that it did, it did happen. But we're just stick with me with, with uh, one more uh, point to, to make it even more like unlikely. How many nations in the universe have been scattered throughout the world. Because if something is likely, if uh, someone wants, a skeptic wants to say, well, it could happen. I don't know, your nation, it could get scattered. So we would assume that would happen to many, many, many nations. I can, have, I can name two. Okay. The Greeks and the Chinese. You find them very scattered. So, okay, so first of all... First of all, I'll make it clear. The Torah doesn't say we're going to be the only nation that ever gets scattered throughout the world. It doesn't ruin my argument if there's two, three, four, I don't know how many other nations. It's still unlikely because, after all, we have to remember how many nations were there throughout the history of time from the time of the ancient uh, Hebrews uh, 25, 3,000 years ago until now. We're talking hundreds of hundreds of nations, for at least, I don't know, maybe more, maybe thousands of nations. Um... And how many of them got scattered throughout the world? Very few. Um, and even those who were scattered, um, it's, it's perhaps one could argue that they're not exactly the same. They've lost their culture. And so the Greeks of today perhaps are not exactly the same Greeks as, as then. The Egyptians of today are not the same Egyptians. Many talk about the Armenians. Perhaps Armenians are an example of a people that has gotten scattered throughout many places of the world. But that's a much more modern example. Um, it was uh, way after the Israelites. So there's very few, if any, and I don't really think there's any other nations that this has happened to, which again shows that this is extremely unlikely. If it was likely, we would assume it would happen to many other nations. The fact that it's happening to very, very few, if any, shows that this is a very unlikely prediction to have been made. Yeah, one second, and then we'll get back. Yeah? Not only that, but it's happened to us at least once. Right. You're focusing on the Romans. The Babylonians did the same thing. Correct. And many of the commentaries exactly point out that there was two different tochachas, as I pointed out, in Vayikra and in Zvarim, and they therefore try to connect that the Babylonian captivity connects to to, uh, the first tochacha, and the Roman captivity connects to the second tochacha. Now, the the wording of of Zvarim is is quite broad, and it also does connect to what uh, Uncle Gabriel was saying, which is that it I'm going to spread you, and that means all throughout the history of time. It didn't necessarily have to end at the Romans. All of the spreading out that just is, has happened throughout time is still part of that prediction. And when one looks back at Jewish history, it's just amazing that exactly as the covenant promised is what happened. Okay? Yeah. Okay, so I think we've made it clear that the prediction was very, very unlikely. I don't know how to put a number on it. Is it one in a hundred, one in a thousand, one in... But very, very unlikely, and yet it happened that we were scattered throughout the world, which I think a serious skeptic would have to, would have to ask himself, how is that? What is, the, what is the likelihood of that happening? But that's only one example, and we're going to show up Pizrat Hashem 10 different unlikely examples just in this Dvarim Chavches, which will make our case even stronger. But first, yes? Um, the other thing we have to focus on is the fact that most of these nations that were mentioned just now, still they existed throughout this whole time. We're talking about Greece and China, Places that 
still exist, that existed when a lot of Chinese and Greeks were scattered, and other people too. Carthage might be the only one that was completely wiped out. Right. But we are the ones. This, I mean, the, the crazy miracle of this, really, is that um, it, it, even more than coming back here, right now it looks like we're going to explode and, and, and disappear. But I don't think that's going to happen. Because God promised us something else. And that's why... Okay, beautiful, beautiful. But the okay. ultimate miracle is that we reunited after that. Absolutely, absolutely. You're right, guys. And we're going to get to that, that prediction too. Um, but I, I, I want to point out there, the, the things that I'm saying in particular in this year are things that we've all heard before. They're, they're not, it's not a big chiddish uh, that we've heard the, the miracle of Jewish survival and the miracle of Jewish history, etc. What I'm trying to do is look at it more like a scientist, look at it more like a statistician. That's the chiddish of this particular shear is to really go methodolo- methodologically, prediction by prediction by prediction by prediction by prediction, and really stop. And not just in like a wow sheer that you're going to get, wow, at a, like you say at the Shabbos table, the Jewish people have always existed. And then, you know, the guy at the end of the table will just roll their eyes and be like, okay, very nice. He's just very inspired. But really like pointed arguments that you could make to, our, to the skeptics within ourselves of literally percentage-wise what are the odds of a nation being scattered? Well, it's never happened in any other case, and why would that be? And how did the author of the Torah have that, have that foreknowledge? Okay, and we're going to get also to many of the arguments that uh, that you guys are bringing up now. Slowly, slowly. Okay, let's move on. The next, the next uh, pasuk. Well, it's not the next pasuk, but it's in that same prophecy. The Torah says, "Yisa Hashem lekecha goy merachok." So there's going to be a nation. That's going to come from afar. It's going to come from the farthest place of the, of the land, like a, a nesher, usually translated like an eagle. A nation that you don't understand its language. And this is the language which is going to exile you and wreak all of this havoc. A nation that you don't understand its language, a nation that's going to come from very far. Okay, so let's ask the, the first question, which is, is that, nece- is that likely that that's going to happen? That the, the nation that's going to cause all the havoc is going to come from far away, and you're not going to understand the language that they speak? The answer is, well, not necessarily. There's other, other options of how a, na- a nation that could come and exile you. For example, the nation could be close. It could be a next-door neighbor nation. And it could also be a nation that you understand the language, that the Israelites would understand their, la- their language. For example, if the Greeks would have came and been the ones to exile the Jews, this prophecy would not have been fulfilled because the Jews understood the language of the Greeks. If it would have been a nation that would have been very close, then that prophecy would not have been fulfilled. If it would have been any nation that the Jews would have known the, 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 the idols that they worshipped in this language, this prophecy would not have been fil- fulfilled. However, in reality, we know historically what is the nation that actually ended up scattering the Jewish people, the primary one that we've been focusing on, happens to be the Romans. The Romans happened to have come from a faraway land, a land that the Jews did not recognize. They happened to have spoken Latin, that the Jews did not speak that language. And to make it, I think this is even crazier, what was the national symbol of the Romans? What were their, what were their war symbols that they would hold? 
Eagles? Eagles. They, they held poles with eagles on it. It is unbelievable that the author of the Torah embeds that in the prophecy way before the Romans, way before anyone knew anything about the Romans, that somehow he's putting in a Bible code alluding to the to this random nation that's going to end up wreaking such havoc. Yes? Many Jews at the, that Second Temple time did understand Greek because it was like the English of that time period. It was the national language that meant that the international language that many nations spoke. And so it wasn't so confused. Many of them knew a bit of Greek or a lot of Greek. Like Gemara talks about how you could translate to Greek, but it's a little bit different time period. But it's known that Latin, Greek was a known language, as opposed to Latin, which was not at the time. Okay? So I'm not going to tell you that this is a one in a thousand type of thing, but it's pretty crazy that it happens to be exactly uh, the nations that was far away, that they didn't speak the language, that has the eagle symbol, which I think that is just unbelievable, happened to be the nation that wreaked the havoc. Okay? Yeah? Questions, comments? We're good? Beautiful. Let's keep going. And then, this is a little sad. V'achalta pri v'itnecha v'sar banecha u'vnotecha asher natan lecha Hashem alkecha b'matur matok asher yertik lecha v'vecha And mothers uh, will eat the children, the flesh of their children, and uh, etc., etc. So it's going to be such a time of starvation uh, that, uh, that the Torah predicts that there's going to be this, these terrible things going on. So again, is this impossible? I don't think this is impossible. I think there were probably a lot of uh, terrible situations throughout the history of, of man. So the author of the Torah could have predicted such a thing. In fact, we know during the Babylonian captivity that this is also going on, this type of thing. But is it likely? Meaning if you're making a bet in Vegas, is it going to be the type of siege and, and mothers are going to be eating the children of their flesh? Not necessarily. Why would I guess that that's exactly the siege that's going to happen? And yet we know, Josephus recounts and other historians recount, that that's exactly the type of starvation that was happening during this time period, during this exact time period that the Torah is describing during the Roman captivity. Again, it happened to the Babylonians, but again, just added to the, I don't know, one in four, one in three, what are the odds, one in ten, that that's going to happen, and yet that's exactly what happened. You with me? Keep going. And this... We're going to get a little bit more hopeful. Think, I, want, I want to get something happier. We need, we need more happiness in our lives during this time period. But in the end of the day, Sorry, I was wrong. We're not up to the happy part yet. <laughs> My bad. Um, and God's going to bring you back to Egypt. Whatever nation is going to take you, they're going to take you down to Egypt in boats, and you're going to go back to Egypt, and you're going to be sold to your enemies as slaves. But you're going to be so not worth anything, that no one's going to buy you. You're going to be sold as slaves, and no one's going to buy you. That's what the Torah predicts is going to happen to this Jewish people eventually. What do you guys think? Is this a likely prediction that you're going to be sold as slaves and you're gonna, there's going to be so many slaves that no one's going to be buy, buying you and you're going to get sold down to Egypt. Like the Palestinians. Okay, so I don't want to get into politics right now, but uh, yeah. So, again, just think about it. I'm, I'm, I'm a secular historian. I'm trying to explain that he just made a prediction, a general type of prediction, and it happened to have happened. 
why would the author of the Torah go out on a limb and say that the Jews are going to be sold into slavery and sold back to Egypt? I mean, that's a pretty unlikely thing to happen. We happen to be taken as slaves, and they sell them to Egypt of all places, and there's so many of them that no one's going to buy them. I mean, I, I don't know, 1 in 20, 1 in 50. What are the odds that that's going to happen? And yet we know that Josephus and other historians exactly recount that that's exactly what happened during the Roman uh, exile. And we have Kinos about such a thing, and we take it for granted. Yeah, it was just a bit, another sad thing that happened, like the Torah predicted. But if we take a, a step back and say, wow, that's a pretty random prediction, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, we were sold as slaves, sold back to Egypt, but no one wanted to buy us because there were so many slaves. That exact story is recounted by Josephus, just as the Torah predicted thousands or hundreds of years prior. It's a good question. We don't, we don't have to have an answer exactly. How do we know? Um, we know that secular sources indicate a very large percentage of the Jewish people were sold into slavery. Um, some of them were bought back by their Jewish brothers in Rome. And eventually, uh, many of them became free men. We know that at some point in history, the Jews were about 10% of Roman society around that time period. So a tremendous amount of, of Rome was Jewish. They were originally slaves. Some of them stayed as slaves, but many of them eventually gained freedom by their brothers redeeming them. But yes, this, this, this is a known historical fact. Okay, just as the Torah predicted, hundreds of years earlier. Got it? Clear? Okay, beautiful. So we're still just, again, um, uh, we're, we're lawyers right now. We're in the courtroom case. I could just give you one piece of evidence, which is, you know, we found the gun of the murderer in his house, but I want to bring a lot of evidence. I want the gun and the DNA and then this. And I want I want to bring as strong of a case as possible of unlikely things, some more unlikely, some likely, to really nail down the case of what are the odds. Okay? Next source, we're in source Zion, if you want to follow along. Um... And yet, during this exile, you will remain very small. You're going to remain a very small people. Even though you were like the stars of the heaven, you didn't listen to God. There's different ways to translate this verse, but what's clear about the verse is that you will always remain a small nation. Jewish people are going to remain small. Okay? Now, again, before we jump to did this happen, what are the odds? What are the odds that we're going to have a nation that at the time of the Torah is, you know, a sizable amount? They're going to survive, clearly, from the prediction, and yet they're always going to remain small. Meaning, why would that necessarily happen? Well, wasn't it predicted that would be like the stars in the heavens? On the one hand, we're predicted in this passage we're going to be like the stars in the heaven. At the same time, we're predicted that we're going to be small. So we have to understand in what way are we also like stars, maybe in our impact, as we're going to get to the Or Lagoyim type of thing. But in our numbers, percentage-wise, compared to other people, we're going to remain small. Okay? And I'm asking, why would that be? Why would we assume that this nation is going to continue to be small? Right? There's no reason to assume that. And there are people... Uh, demographers who believe that at one point there were as many Chinese as Jews. Correct, exactly. And I wanted to point that out. 
had a chart, but I left it at home. I'll bring it, I'll bring it next time to show that around 200 BCE, the Jews and the Roman, uh, the, the Chinese and the Jews had a, a, a approximately the same amount of people, and yet compare us to them now. You know, yeah. There's no comparison. There, is, I don't know how many a billion. There's a, there's a lot, a lot of Chinese people. God bless them. And uh, how many Jews are there? What, 17 million? 16 million? You know, it depends how you count it. We've always been just on the survival, you know? And if you look at our, at, at our numbers, we should be in the tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions, for sure. At least a billion. At least a billion. Again, I'm not a demographer. I can't tell you uh, exact numbers, but, you know... There's no logical reason to assume a nation that has such a that's been around for such a long time. It was a significant. I told you guys we were ten percent of the Roman Empire. We were a significant amount of people, and yet we've always remained a small nation. Why would that be? What are the odds? And why why would that happen? And yet, amazingly enough, that's exactly what happened. We've always remained the smallest of the nations on a number of levels level until this day. Fortunately, we know why that is. We know, I mean, we know why because God's will. But the other reason is because of persecution and anti-Semitism and pogroms and Holocaust and assimilation and, and many other reasons. But again, it's astounding. The author of the Torah is standing here and said, you're going to survive. You're always going to be a small nation. That's very unlikely. There's no other nation. that, And yet, that's exactly what happened. That We always remain. Yeah, there might be hundreds of millions if you account for the exactly. sacred Jews. Exactly. Oh, you're saying there might be hundreds of millions of people who are connected to Judaism at some point. Correct. If you want to connect uh, anyone who's had physically been connected to Judaism and all the lost tribes and all of the Arabs in Yatta who, you know, have, were at some point connected to, to uh, Jewish tradition. Um, yeah, millions and billions. But in terms of actual Jews, Jews, people who practice what we consider Judaism... We've always, and we still are, a very, very small percentage, uh, just as the Torah predicts here and in other places. And again, what are the odds? That's pretty. That's a pretty crazy stat. That's a pretty crazy percentage. Yeah. Okay. I think we're getting the point, but I'll just keep. Uh, we're just going to keep driving it home. As the Torah says, this is an, an, in Devarim. It points us out. You'll be the smallest of all the nations, and I still love you. Dafka, because or despite the fact that you're small, still you are the you are my beloved nation, and I brought that uh, Chinese uh, stat on the source sheet too. Okay, but now we're getting to happier times. With all that sad stuff and all those unlikely things that have happened, in the end, the Torah has some happy news. After all these things, and I will return you to Hashem your God, and you will listen to His voice. When you return to God with all your heart and all your soul, and God will bring back those who have been in exile and have mercy upon you. And I'm going to gather you from all the nations which God has scattered you. And he goes and says, even if you're scattered throughout all the world, 
God is going to bring you back. And I'm going to bring you back to the Holy Land. Okay. So again, what's the game we play? What are the odds? What are the odds that there's going to be a nation that is going to be scattered throughout all of the universe and yet someday will find its way back to that original land which will somehow still be available for them to come back? What you got? If you were uh, the wildest gambler in Vegas, you would never make that bet. And how do I know that that's a very, very unlikely situation? It never happened. It never happened in the history of the world and nation that got scattered throughout the entire universe. Or if it never, it's very, very unlikely that it's happened. Okay, right. So we'll get to all the quotes in a minute. But but I, I just want to establish the unlikelihood is meted out by the historical fact that no other nation has been scattered throughout the universe and then come back. Because, again, that's very, very hard to do. How do you coordinate that you're going to get scattered throughout the whole world and then come back? If it was so easy to do, some other nation should have been able to do that. Again, what if that, what if other nations took that land? What if it's not available anymore? How do you get everyone organized and bring them back to the land? And yet, we're all super aware that that's exactly what happened historically, just as the Torah Predicted. Yeah? I must say, this tradition is like uh, the book of the source, right? Shock tradition is okay. I must say, now, the Jewish people are more observant than before the Holocaust. That is not really, you know, I must say that's really. Oh, so Daniel brings out a good point. If we want to connect this prophecy to uh, the fact that we are sitting here in this room today and the Jewish people have returned back to their land, so then how do you. Uh, sh- sh- Make that work with the fact that uh, have we really have we really come back to God? I think there's two answers to that question. Okay, so so I would say first of all, we we could recognize that this prophecy is in the process of being fulfilled. Meaning, it may not have yet been completely fulfilled. We're not after all, we're not all here. A large percentage are here. 49.99% or whatever, but not everybody. So it could be that that aspect of the prophecy of Shabbat Shalom is yet to happen, of the Jewish people doing this tshuva, but we're in the process of that happening, and we can see in front of our eyes that that process, prophecy is in the process of happening. You can give another answer, an answer that I like better, which is um, that I don't agree with your assessment. I, I think if we read uh, the, the passage very simply, and you will return to Hashem Elokecha. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that all the Jewish people have done tshuva, but that there will be a massive returning to God. And it is unquestionable that there has been a massive tshuva mo- movement uh, that we are experiencing specifically in the time of coming, of, of the kibbutz galyots, of the Jewish people coming back to their land. It's true, it's not 100%, it's not the whole people, and absolutely, but does the verse, and, and you will return to God, seem to have at least been partially fulfilled? Absolutely. And I think it's amazing that uh, it, uh, the, the alignment between the Chuva movement and the returning to the land of Israel seemed to flow so well together. Yeah, perhaps, per, 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 perhaps you could argue that if we just read this verse, it would seem like first there would be the full return to God, and then 
and then there would be the full returning of the land to, to Israel. But again, it doesn't mean that we're not in the middle of that process. That it could, yeah, I, I think we would all agree that we're not 100% there spiritually and we're also not 100% there physically. But it's pretty amazing that we have come back to a certain extent physically and spiritually we have come back to a great extent. Putting all politics aside and Zion, I don't think that's, we're, we're, not, we're not really discussing that. That's not what's relevant today. What's relevant is, did the, is the prophecy that was predicted seem to be fulfilled? And to me, uh, it's never happened to any other nation that they were scattered throughout the world and 50% of them are back. And yet that's exactly what happened here. And that to me is unbelievable and, and a, a strong uh, proof of the divinity of Hashem. I could argue a little bit of a counter, if I'm being uh, um, in, intellectually honest, I could argue a little bit of an argument on my argument. But you would not say, you would not say this is like dramatically that there's, there is some order and look, we'd also have to look at all the other times when it predicts that Hashem will return the Jews back to Israel and see if it's specifically linked to the spiritual awakening. I mean, this is not the only time in the Torah or in the prophets when Hashem predicts that the Jewish people are going to come back to their land. So it's hard to uh, learn. It, that, that deserves a real sheer in of itself of whether the spiritual returning back to the land of Israel is needs to be the first step before the physical coming back to the land of Israel. And we would need to see the whole context, including those Pesukim, including the Gemara in Megillah, which talks about the Shemona Esrei as the steps of the, of the redemption. And it's a fantastic topic, a topic that I'd love to learn with you about at some point. But it's a little bit beyond the scope of, of, what, we're, of, we're, of, we're, of what we're doing here. Well, I, don't think if you, I don't think if we read the verse of it, it Okay, I hear the question. Again, the, the verse says, and you will return to the Lord Almighty, and you will come back to the land of Israel. And again, there has been a tremendous tshuva movement and a tremendous percentage of Jews who have returned to the Lord Almighty, whatever that means. And there has been a tremendous return after that, there has been a tremendous return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. So even just looking at these verses, very simply, not getting too complicated, that's, that has, one could argue that that has been fulfilled. True, not completely, not perfectly, but still in a tremendous type of way. An unexpected. Even in order, even in the order. First, I don't know if, if it just, if, in it, but even in order, we've seen that order that since the 60s and the, or, and, and the Jewman movement, there has been a tremendous returning of Jews to the land of Israel. And correct, and in terms of our sovereignty over the land of Israel, there was, uh, there, there was a, a, a returning physically to the land of Israel to a greater extent uh, after the tshuva. And maybe it's a good argument that the more tshuva we do, the more we will come back to the land of Israel. Actually, my, the more B'Shemesh, who I'm related to, a Hasidic Rebbe, argues exactly that, that uh, the, the returning of the Jews to the land of Israel and the returning of the Jews physically to the land of Israel are in, intertwined and one leads to the next. But again, it's a little bit of a, 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 a different fascinating topic, but yeah, okay. So just to summarize, okay, put it all together. Uh, we made a bunch of predictions. I wrote it out. We predicted, this, uh, this woman said, this, this Torah told us, 
you're going to get exiled. And the truth is, there's two exile stories. And you're going to get scattered throughout the world. Okay? Neither of those were intuitive. Both of those are quite unlikely. And it's going to happen, this exiling, by a faraway nation. Also not intuitive. In a language that the Israelites did not know. Whose symbol was the eagle? There's going to be complete starvation. You're going to be sold as Egyptian slaves. And no one's going to want to buy you. You're going to remain the smallest nation. And yet, you're going to one day return back to your ancient homeland. I think each one of these is unlikely. Some of them one in three. Some of them one in 50. But the way it works in statistics is we multiply each one by the next. Okay? Because what are the odds that every single time the dice is going to is going to rock the exact same one. So I, I'm not a statistician. I don't claim to be. But I think it would be one in millions. It would be very, very, very unlikely that, that all of these predictions would happen to be predicted. And yet, voila. Okay, maybe you could argue with one or two of them here and there. You could, ah, this one doesn't, I'm not sold on it. But you're putting it all together just in, the, in this one chapter in the Torah. Okay? We've already seen so many uh, unbelievable things which have uh, come out. And I would, I've never seen, and I would be very hard-pressed to hear, I'd be curious actually to hear uh, a skeptic, how he would respond on a just scientific level to how, what, why, how did that actually end up happening? How, how, how could that be? It seems to me to be a relatively strong argument as to the author of this Torah having some sort of divine foreknowledge. Okay, now just because he has divine foreknowledge doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that everything, you know, that, that he, everything he says is, is true, but it's a strong indication. I, w- I would take it seriously. In other words, if that, going back to Our Lady, it, I would read the book. If she made all of these predictions and she claims to have a lot of secrets and she knew exactly that my coffee would spill on me and the red bicyclers and this and that, and, and she seems to be a very knowledgeable woman, so uh, I would at least I would go right back to her and ask her for some advice, and I would read her book. Why not? And uh, it seems like she knows what she's talking about. So I would I would be in communion with this with this woman. So I think um, I think uh, the argument can be made that it, 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 the, these predictions really seem to indicate that the author of the Torah knew what he was talking about and knew how to make uh, these. These strong predictions. Okay, I see we have a little bit more time. So we'll do five more minutes. Is that good? Yeah, we're happy because I, I, I'm still there in the source sheet. That we have, but we're going to, like I said, we're going to finish it off. Uh, yeah. Now I have a question. Sure. Yeah, it, it seems like God is reminding us of the Romans yet again now. Mm. Because English was, although English was implanted in the land before, um, before we became a state again. But it was the British. Now we have the nation who symbols the eagle, hmm, interesting. and who dictates every la- last little thing to us. And I think we know who that is. Very fascinating. Yeah. Listen, this this year is Kilo building a proof of, of Judaism. But the truth is, for those of us who are already in who believe, then there's a lot more to be analyzed about uh, what is the deeper meaning behind these prophecies, and uh, what do they have to teach us today. And not just their relevance back in the Roman era, but even today, what are we supposed to learn from the Tochacha, etc.? And there's uh, a lot to be fleshed out there. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, yeah, no, okay, we're good. Okay, implicit in all of these predictions is another um, prediction that 
you guys have all alluded to already, which is the survival of the Jewish nation. In other words, if you're going to be scattered throughout the world and then come back, so you can't do that if you're dead, okay? You have to survive in order to uh, be, for all these predictions to come across. And, and the survival mechanism is the source of the prediction, the Torah itself. Right, exactly, right. which is also amazing. Um, as the Torah says, it's Chaim He, that this is the source yeah. of, your, of, of your life. And it says it even more explicitly many times. Netzach Yisrael, lo chilitem, I'm never going to extinguish you, etc., etc., etc. And again, the fact that we are here, the fact that we survive, statistically, is very unlikely. And the simplest way to explain that is, where are the Chitites? Where are the Midianites? Where are the Amorites? Where are all those Canaanites? And just open up the Bible and ask, where are those Girgis? Like, just go through the, I don't know, dozens that we could just see in the Bible itself, the Philistines, and then go on Wikipedia and look for all of the nations that we could find in the ancient Near East thousands of years ago and ask, where'd they go? They're gone. Because most nations, what happens to most nations? They assimilate. Either they get completely vanquished. That's kind of hard to kill every single last one of them. So usually what happens to nations? They become part of other cultures. They become part of other nations. They assimilate and and that's what gets rid of them. That's often what happens with nations. Sometimes you do have nations which survive, right? Like the Egyptians and the Greeks and etc. But they're not really the same nations. They're not really the same culture. They just have the same name. But the uh, Egyptian of today and the Egyptian of 3,000 years ago, there's not that much that links them. Obviously, this is a bit of subjective. How do you define a nation? But it's clear to us that... that we Jews and the Jews 3,000 years ago have a strong, we, we believe we're the same nation. We're praying for the same things. We think about the same things. Yeah, I eat kugel and chulent and you had chamin, uh, but we're, we're the same nation and we have many of the same laws, but that's not true for many of these nations that are still here. And so the fact that the Jewish people survived and has the same culture as the, the Jewish people 3,000 years ago is extremely, extremely unlikely. There have been very few, if any, other nations that have survived that long. And yet, here we are. And I think that can be added to the unlikely predictions that has somehow been fulfilled. And this one, we're all familiar with the nice, the nice quotes. I brought down uh, King Louis, right? The French king who was trying, he went to an Asia seminar. He wanted to believe in God. So he went to the Bible course. He didn't buy it. He went to my share. He didn't like it. But he went to Blaise Pascal, Pascal's wager, and he said, give me proof of God. You know, proof to me, God. And Pascal answered, the Jews, your majesty, the Jews. Which again, sounds like a very fluffy, nice thing to say if you just go to a, a, a Dvar Torah. Oh, you yourself are the proof of God. But when you think about it analytically, scientifically, we really are. We, the fact that we have survived, we are Aedus, the veracity to the truth of Hashem because he predicted we would survive and the likelihood of that happening is very, very small. It's true that you could try to explain it and say, well, maybe the, the Jews, they're the type of people that just never can get erased. Maybe we have the Torah and, okay, you could always come up with an argument of, of, uh, of, of how we survived and how nobody else survived. But at the end of the day, if you put all of the arguments together, it seems very, very unlikely that they would all be um, they would all be fulfilled in that same respect. 
On a, on a sadder note, in the Tochacha, the Torah tells us, Basically, these nations are never going to let you rest. You're always going to be persecuted throughout the generations. And this is actually reiterated many times throughout the, the bad predictions of the Torah. Has that been fulfilled, that the Jewish people have always been persecuted? Unfortunately, that very much so, more than any other nation in the history of the world, even nowadays, even in our generation, when everyone thought we were done with anti-Semitism, that was like so 100 years ago, and somehow it's coming back, even in our generation. And obviously there's a message from Hashem there too. But, um, but as, as hard as that is to, to swallow, we know that that is... Um, that is the prediction of Avakadosh Baruch Hu, and a little bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a proof of Hashem, because he says there's always going to be anti-Semitism, and despite the fact that most people assimilate when there's anti-Semitism, they, when, they, when there's racism, they, they assimilate, we just get even stronger and get more connected to our people when there's those who fight against us, and we, uh, we, we continue to go strong. So we'll add that to the list of very unlikely things, and yet if you look at our history, how can you deny that that's exactly what's been happening in our history? So Bezrat Hashem, next time, next week, just give a preview. Uh, we're going to talk about the predictions of the Jewish people being uh, light unto the nations, the Torah never being forgotten, the land uh, not being desolate, and, uh, and some lesser known predictions in the Gemara and in the Kabbalah, which I also think are quite astounding and amazing. And Bezrat uh, Hashem, that's the plan to finish this segment about unlikely predictions that have been fulfilled. Shkayach, guys, thanks for thanks for coming. Hope you guys enjoyed. I enjoyed preparing it. Bezrat Hashem, got me through the army. A lot of uh, boring shifts that I was uh, thinking about these things and trying to put this together. So, you're gonna have to go back. Uh, my unit, they say, uh, 